This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Naranga people, of the Widjibal people of the Bundjalung nation, and of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin nation. We pay our respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. Well may we say, God save the Queen, because nothing will save the Governor-General. You know I've searched my heart to prove There's better ways to push and pull Hey, whatever gets you through these days Hello and welcome to Well May We Say, a progressive podcast about Australian politics. This is episode 88 for Friday 12th of April 2019. I'm Jeremy Sear and each week I'll be joined by various guest hosts to discuss with me what's just been happening to our country, uh, what's likely to happen and hopefully what we can do about it. This week's guest hosts are Lindsay Jackson and Ella Buckland. Welcome. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having me. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I guess I should introduce to uh, listeners who, who, who you both are in terms of the um, political discussion we're about to have. Uh, Lindsay, could you introduce sort of what, what your what your background is with things like uh, RoboData and AFA? Sure. Uh, so I think we first spoke about two years ago um, after the start of the Not My Debt campaign um, or the RoboDebt campaign. Um, so that continues on, um, unfortunately, and there really hasn't been a lot of significant change there. Um, so I'm still very much involved with that, um, working alongside some incredible volunteers. Um, and one of the other things that I have picked up in that time is I'm the chair of Electronic Frontiers Australia um, and EFA have been around for 25 years working on uh, digital rights online, human rights in a, in a digital age. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I'm doing now. To be fair to you about the RoboDebt, like, it, it is at least something that people are fully aware exists in a way that probably wouldn't if it weren't for the sort of campaigning you were doing, uh, where it would have just been another way of crushing, crushing the poor on, and people on Newstart and people who had once dared to be on Newstart. Whereas now it's kind of, it is a thing that people recognise as an abomination and at least we recognise what the problems are in it. Yeah, look, absolutely. And and it, that's so critical to when you look at it, look at something and see whether or not it, it's, you know, what the levels of success are. So yeah, unfortunately, the, 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 the program as it exists and is as it's rolled out by government is still there and it's still a problem. Um, but absolutely, the shift that's occurred in in the general public's understanding of of what happens when uh, governments try to do these programs, so their their um, knowledge of algorithmic injustice and data matching um, is is incredibly high because people have been involved in that conversation as we unpicked what was happening and and the stories and the effects of it. Um, so so that that's really clear, um, and that's that that's clearly known throughout the the public and people that you, I speak to in the street, um, academia, policy development, you know, all levels, which is, is incredibly important. Um, and then the other, the, other, um, the other positive has certainly been that people understand their rights. Um, and even though the system is still incredibly difficult to navigate and we know that people are not exercising their rights or, or are getting all of the way through the process to successful successful resolution, um, whatever that looks like, what we do know is that thousands of people have taken those steps and, um, you know, not and have not had to pay money that 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 they that they didn't know. So so for for the from that side of things, um, it has been incredibly successful. Um, and and also we know that because we know the results through the Senate inquiry and Senate estimates. So um, so yeah, you know, it's it's certainly something I've been really proud to be involved with. And talking of the um, these sorts of awful programs that, that persecute people who are daring to require assistance, um, and that the Senate is now finally looking into due to activism from people um, like you, Lindsay, but also like you, Ella, because you've been fighting strongly against Parents Next. I have been, yes. I um, I, I was a, a policy advisor at Parliament and then became a single mother and then um, was very annoyed to find that I was submitted to this Parents Next program 
um, in September last year. And so I started a campaign against it. So Parents Next, their excuse for it is it's like, oh, well, we're just sort of providing services for parents that, uh, you know, will help them, uh, man, you know, with services for their children. And uh, it's such such a positive for them that we have to make it compulsory and punish them with cutting off their social security payments if they dare not to jump through hoops. Exactly. It's pretty concerning considering that, um, you know, single parents don't have a lot of money and they don't have a lot of time and they're dealing with other things in their lives like family court or um, poverty. Um, and the idea of having to comply with some ridiculous arbitrary activities just to get your parenting payment is really stressful for a lot of women or parents, but mostly women. I, I think we've seen so this week we have had, in fact, the last couple of weeks, we've, we've um, up until the point where they've called the election there by shutting all of these down, I think, isn't it? That, but we had finally some actual uh, attention being paid to the sort of outrageous uh, demands that these providers were putting on people. Do you have some sort of examples of the sort of stuff that, that they've been doing and what is looking like if, if change, if, if any change, if, if um, we can hope for some, um, if there is a changing government. To answer the first question of examples, um, the, the providers are, are making uh, these parents, like they're supposed to just, you know, do, do one activity a week. It can, you know, be an hour uh, and then you log on and you mark your attendance um, but because the Department of Jobs really hasn't sort of overseen what the providers are doing, um, the providers have just got this free reign over what they're telling people to do. So um, one mum contacted me um, a couple of days ago and she was already studying um, a lot and she had to, you know, attend Parents Next and um they made her uh, mark her study every day that she was at uni. So she had to log on in the morning and mark her attendance and then log on in the afternoon and mark her attendance out. Um, and, I mean, that's that's hard for anyone to remember to do, okay. um, let alone a, a single mum who's studying, you know, three days a week at uni. Um, and it it just sort of, I mean, that's just one example it's like it I don't understand how how there can be such sort of discrepancy between you know what the guidelines say and what these providers are doing is that just because the department of jobs they just because no one really understands what the rules are so they're just like the agencies are just overcompensating and saying well we we have you have to record everything because we just don't know what to do with you being asked to report every single day that just seems ridiculous especially because what what has come out is that if people don't report then they could be blackmarked and lose their payments so there's there's so much at stake but why on earth do providers think that it's acceptable to ask people to track their attendance at uni every single day I don't know I've been trying to figure it out like why they want to sort of have this level of surveillance over these um, Parents Next participants. And um, I think it just comes down to either the culture within the provider's mm. office or the individual provider's sort of personality and, you know, how they feel about single parents. It, it seem, There seems to be a lot of abuse from providers Um and it's like, oh, you know, you're just, you know, you're just at home. You're not doing any work. I had to work because, you know, mm. I was a single mother. And this is what the sort of feedback I'm getting is that women are being told, well, I worked when I had my child. And, and, it, and it just doesn't really sort of account for all of the other factors in the lives of individual sort of families who are single parent families. Yeah, at the end of the day, like what is the policy? What's the purpose for the government in this? And that just seems so confused. Is is this about is this about development? I mean, I do some stuff with groups that are um, incredibly concerned that at the age of five when children start going to school that they're not meeting certain developmental milestones. So through that, we know that um, if kids uh, go to 
uh, early learning and daycare, oh, not day, not necessarily daycare, but um, um, kindergarten programs, preschool programs, those sorts of things. Gymbaroo. Yeah, that they are beneficial. And so from that level, it's like, okay, well, that's great. Like, let's encourage more of that in communities. I live in a regional area. So those sorts of things are just often not available. So if there's, mm. if the government is kind of behind it to say, yeah, this is really important, let's do this for our children. Um, but that just that that just seems totally lost in this. And instead, it's about it's about penalising and and surveillance and yeah, forcing forcing women to do more. Well, I think the only the only thing that Parents Next is is achieving is that women are more comfortable with the online MyGov facility for when they might need to start looking for work as part of their job active requirements. That just sounds like the most pointless outcome ever. <laughs> like Now you know how to use the portal. We spent all this money. Uh, now you can report to us. Oh, that's just bizarre. Well, it doesn't help anyone. It, yeah. It just doesn't. Like I, I found out, you know, because I'm a Parents Next participant and I got my resume, as you know, Lindsay, done recently and um, <laughs> I had this interesting exchange with my provider and I was like, look, I've got this resume done. It was this much money, significant amount of money, and I know that you have $1,200 uh, allocated for me over five years and you have to pay for this. And <laughs> she went away and um, obviously there was a lot of discussion behind the scenes about whether or not they should pay for this resume for me because if they didn't they knew that I was going to go yeah. to the public with it and if they did they knew I was going to go to the public and as huh. soon as I have it in my hand I'm going to tell everyone to go and do the same because the <laughs> providers aren't telling anyone that they've got this money available yeah are you now almost having a different experience Ella because of the fact that they uh, you know obviously there was the bit where because you were um, publicly complaining about it, the department actually, and you got you got your file, and the department um, was clearly doing really creepy stalking of you in order to try and um, I don't know, bully you into silence, I suppose. But at this point, now that you're you're kind of well known um, as a person who's not going to take any shit on this, are they almost are they are you now going to be having a different experience, I suppose, because they're almost afraid to treat you with the um, contempt of people that they think they can bully. They're definitely intimidated by me. Um, the woman I have as a, you know, my case manager or whatever you want to call her, um, she was the one who I recorded coercing me to sign this privacy waiver thing and I think she's very paranoid I'm going <laughs> to record every interaction with her and I do. Um, and she, I don't know, I think I do get treated differently. I obviously have had a really hard time by um, Octech have given me a really hard time. Um, but, but yeah, I think they're pretty scared. But the best thing is um, that I've managed to empower all these other women yeah. who are going into their appointments and going, no, here's the section in the guidelines. I printed it out. Yeah. You have to do this. And they're coming back to me. And, and, and that's just like such a win that, it's so critical, yeah. and that that's been the same thing with with the robo debt stuff. It, people that people that feel empowered to voice their rights, and when you are up against a system that is big and scary and is controlling your money and your access to money, therefore food and housing and your family's welfare, um, it is it is incredibly difficult. So, and and we've seen people that you know people that have had quick success it's been if they've gone to the media or if their MPs responsive and it's 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 fine because it is good to it's good to help people to be empowered and to exercise their rights and all of those sorts of things but it is absolutely ridiculous that that's what people have to do for governments and and departments to do the right thing i just wanted to know with the robo debt did they sell that debt to a third party you know? Yeah, well, yes. Yeah. So they, they've got uh, debt collection agencies. Um, I can't quite recall. The, the details did come out in the Senate inquiry around the specific financial arrangements because it was a little bit different than a straight out selling uh, or a, 
are straight out selling than than say if it was like cash converters selling their debts or something like that. Um, but you know they definitely work the percent they get a percentage or a financial incentive based on how much debt they pull in, and they get a percentage of that debt because that's the fee and that's what they organise. Um, so there's 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 profit in this, and those things were calculated into the forward estimates of what the government wanted to project wanted to get back and projected as savings into the future um, which thanks to thanks to Senate estimates and and you know the the, the awareness raising um, those numbers have just come nowhere close they it's they've it's costed 400 it's costed 400 million they've recouped 500 million um, so you've got a hundred million dollars there but even that's really rubbery like for example we don't know if the cost of the freedom of information um, has been counted as a cost against the program cost. So, it, you know, it's it, it's very difficult. And we don't know with that $500 million, um, which of that is actually still in contention or when people may, may exercise their right. So I speak to people all the time that just started paying because it just seemed really hard. But but because you can go back and appeal at any time, after a year or so, people kind of, you know, they remember this and it sticks as a thing in the back of their mind. So when they're more able or they've seen more success examples or they've just got more time, um, they are starting to go back and say actually that debt pretty sure that was wrong or people are now getting a second wave of debts so these debts are people are people are now getting debts for either new areas new time periods or if they had um, dealt with one that that's resurfacing so that's a really troubling uh, pattern that we're starting to see yeah that is troubling that's a lot of money too (sighs) It's extraordinary how much the, uh, they, they think they can squeeze out of um, the, the very poor. Like their entire budget surplus is based on we will be able to squeeze this many billions out of out of new welfare compliance, which by which they always mean cutting holes in the, in the safety net. Like everything you've described has been stuff that um, if the system worked, if, if, uh, um, if you had... A, an actual safety net that people knew they weren't going to starve to death. That that you know they may there may be some uh, dispute over how much they're getting paid at some point, or there might be some. Um, but the, the, but fundamentally, the government wasn't going to let you wasn't just going to cut you off and let you starve. Except that what they've done in over the last what 20, 30 years is they've progressively cut giant holes in the safety net, so you don't know that. You know, in fact, you know specifically that if you piss them off. They can cut you off and make you starve, and and you've um, and with the job providers, they can cut you off and say um, you didn't comply. They've they've taken away the bit where you can appeal through Centrelink properly, haven't they? So now job network providers can can cut you off for arbitrary reasons, and even if you appeal it, it's a process by which you're not getting paid anything in the meantime. And you know, it's not like not like landlords go, oh well, um, yeah. that's all right. I, while while you're appealing that Centrelink problem, it's all right. You don't have to pay rent. That's fine. It's it's kind. Of, it very much is the way you treat somebody if you have absolute contempt for them and um, they don't have any real recourse and have to do it. In fact, it's almost like, because the other thing, because if you link it in back with change the rules and the union campaigns, like uh, some of the unions I don't, I don't think seem to realise that so much of what is happening in the social security space is fundamentally tied into the relationship between um, employers and workers because it's always up there in the background of if you don't do what we say, you can bloody starve to death on on the you know being mistreated by the government on Newstart or um, one of the uh, on a pension, um, because workers now know that there's no real safety net that the safety net has all these holes in it. Whereas if you had a proper safety net, employers aren't going to be able to exploit workers quite as much because workers can always go well to hell with that. I'm not going to be exploited. I'll, I'll uh, go on social. I'll have social security and I'll retrain and I'll do something else. Like if you if you have choices, then they can't coerce you as much. Yeah, and I th- it go it goes both ways as well because now that people when if you're on new start and you go off of it to get back on it, it's now incredibly difficult and there's long waiting periods. So if you get a job offer, then and you know the the if you get a job offer, you now have to be more discerning about it or you see an opportunity. You're like, okay, well, you know, should I take that risk? Because, for example, um, it's summer, there's a cafe job. You know, do you take that knowing that during winter when there's no tourism, 
tourism that your hours are just going to be cut and you may lose your job and then it's going to take you six 12 weeks or whatever to get on new start and then you're not even going to have um you're not even going to have that protection there so people are and you're not going to be repaid it either they changed it recently. So at least in the old days, like when there was a delay, at least they paid back paid you yeah. for the time that you should have received it. Yeah. No, they don't. You just sort of they, what what are you what are you living on? Like yeah. what do they yeah. think? Every every person who's like, oh, that person should be cut off social security. Yeah. What do they think they're going to do? Yeah. Like, what do these anybody who thinks that that's a, that's an acceptable outcome, that cutting that cutting a hole in safety net, like they have to be okay with people just starving in the streets because what what do they think people are gonna do? Oh, just find a job. And- there are that's the point there aren't the jobs yeah yeah and they just it, this sort of stuff just pushes people back down on their ass as well so you know people have you might have just people we were hearing from people that you know five years on they've kind of gotten on their feet they've maybe got a few thousand dollars for another a car or they can finally go on a holiday and then boom like here's this debt and it, it's just it's just a clawback that just you know it just it really it really stunts people's progress like it shakes it shakes the it sort of just shakes that foundation so that when there's no certainty you can't make decisions you can't you can't move you can't take a new job you can't leave a job you can't start a business like all these things that you can't set up for yourself yeah you can't parent (laughs) you can't make you can't make decisions for your kids like it's just it's it it is outrageous that's what it gets me the whole idea that that they they're going to their whole justification for the parents next isn't it it's like you know we're giving it's important we're doing this for the kids we're going to give the kids the skills because of course nothing helps kids more than their parents being uh, cut off and having no money to buy them food or becoming homeless yeah, exactly. And then you think about the, what did Lindsay say, $500 million they got back from the robo-debt and then they spent $350 million on Parents Next over three years. And and all of that money could have just gone to single parents. Well, of course, they're not even putting that. They, that's the other half-assed nature of it. They're, like, they, they're really leaning on other service providers like libraries. Haven't the librarians been complaining this week? They're like, we're not, our job is not, keeping tabs on who shows up to story time we don't we don't have the facilities that it's just they've gone we don't because they have such contempt for the library system for public services they're just like well they can just deal with it yeah look that that really that really bothers me as well the fact that we're pushing on um pushing on to librarians and and even volunteers of community groups this role of policing and monitoring um parents in our community um, Ella, you you made a really good point when we've been chatting about um, about why parenting isn't seen as a job in itself, and and you know how these how these policies and programs are really eroding that. Um, I think that's such a I think that's such a great thing to talk about. Yeah, well, it really annoys me, and I didn't really understand until I became a parent how little people value parenting when it's this all-consuming, never-ending job. That... Oh, they say when, when you go back to work, like you're not working. Well, if you're a parent at home, they don't classify the work that you're doing as work. No one mm. does. Um, the only, like when I went through family court, you know, thankfully the family court values unpaid work the same as paid work. So when you get a property settlement, um, the court counts all of the work that you've done at home as equal mm. to your partner's work in the workforce, paid work. Yeah. But the government doesn't seem to give a shit about the work that people do at home. Um, and, I mean, I find with this Parents Next thing, particularly with the, with the parents of very yeah. young children, so, you know, it's from six months old, and at six months old, my daughter, you know, she had silent reflux. She was vomiting. She was screaming. I was in tears all the time. I was trying to breastfeed. It, like, I wasn't going to leave the house and go and, you know, I didn't want to go to play group. If I did, I wanted to go whenever yeah. I wanted to go, not when I was told I had to. And it was such That's a hard job. Well, taking into account your daughter's needs. Like, yeah. don't go to play group when she's got Yeah, and my needs. Yeah. Like, I'm a human yeah. and... Um, uh, and I have needs as well, and obviously they weren't being met, and so you're just sort of trying to keep your child alive. And I think there's a lot of depression in, in um, you know, young mothers and particularly, you know, newly single mothers. It's a very scary time. 
Um, and it wasn't something that I'd planned for. And I don't think really anyone plans for that to happen. And um, I would like to see, you know, parenting enshrined in legislation. Like that would be a campaign that I would like to run. What um, do you mean? Well, I don't know how it would look. I, I'm going to talk to some people about it, but just getting it so that that unpaid work, you know, and if we could only get it as parenting, was seen as as work. In in they do they do give it lip service. They just then forget. Like in, in you're right in property settlements, they definitely they, that is it is clearly established that the time. You know, the, 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 there's no distinction made on who earns the money. It's the, the, all the contributions are considered domestic contributions are considered to have the same weight. But in terms of um, where, the way they talk about parenting uh, at other times in court, like they still, there's still the constant by this incentive, this idea that that being a full time parent isn't isn't working, and that you're yeah, going to so you know, go the, back the, to work mm. when you go back to work. I'm like I'm working already. I've had judges say it to me. Say, yeah. you know, why aren't you working? Uh, sorry, what? It's because um, I've got a three-year-old, so this is, you know, this has been something that I've thought a lot about over the last over the last few years, and I, you know, we just we just really come up with these arbitrary numbers around humans and how humans should perform and when humans should be ready to do certain things, um, and and so often just because of because of you know all sorts of um, all sorts of structural inequality reasons when it's when it's done to women women kind of have to take these concessions of all right well we'll take that like it's not it's not ideal um for family for for hormones like for all these other reasons but we'll take it and we'll be grateful so having four months of maternity leave and okay at four months like your four month old baby you should be in a position to be going back to work and going to it it is it is so insane and and the six months just you know I got to the six month milestone it's like okay this is still so tough and I remember the day 10 months in where the fog of my head lifted where it was you know I was finally getting enough sleep my hormones had settled down like things seemed okay and I could actually think and and you know I when it comes to to depression and and concerns around parenthood I'm always saying especially to really highly functioning women that are used to you know that are used to having a lot of control over their life and they may be successful at work or whatever whatever that is or successful in family whatever is to be really you know to to really warn them that postnatal depression is 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 a real thing and you have this human being and all of a sudden you lose control over your day your structure your life your sleep um and it's such a it's such a thing and then for these sorts of government policies to come in over the top of it where there is such a disconnect between humans and life and humanity and rights um and where you know we're okay with it or you know it's okay to then have departments sending around emails about individuals like Ella um, and you know picking people out as as bad on Twitter so we've got to start monitoring them because oh my goodness they might say something and, and they're influencers and you just think wow oh, I'm still thinking <laughs> the whole idea like even with Newstart, they can go digging yeah. through people's like yeah. socials. They're going through their Facebook and things to say so so that if you know two people receiving Newstart former relationships suddenly can go, aha, we will cut both of your payments because they're already below subsistence, but we can make them even more below subsistence. Ha ha! Look at you finding human com, human love and and compassion and 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 a relationship there. Excellent. Well, we can use that to cut your payments. And that a man should be able to keep a woman. Like if you're, you know, if you're if you're studying and you're and you're a woman and you you get a boyfriend, well then you've got a man that's keeping you. So your payment should be your payment yeah, should yeah, be, he must be yeah, you money. yeah, uh, you know, and and. And there is just never enough public discussion about what that actually means, what that actually does for women, what that actually does for societies. Like we do not live in a society like that. We do not, we do not have men that come and take on the household. And and that expectation of when it of that it will happen reinforces those um, the more serious issues of domestic violence and financial control and poverty uh, because that is that that's not the reality for women 
Well, it feels like what they're doing to people like in Ella's situation is almost punishing them for daring to, be, I, I, you know, basically saying to somebody who is looking at leaving um, a relationship to be in a, because for, for their own safety, and then they look at how single parents are treated under things like parent sex, which is, it just feels like, it feels like it fits in with the, this conservative idea that, that um, anybody who needs assistance, they like they have to, in order to justify internally why it, um, why it won't happen to them and internally why they don't really have to be sympathetic or kind or generous or compassionate, like it feels like they almost double down, the, the right-wing mindset is to double down on the um, undeserving nature of the person that so they might they might so they're undeserving of assistance because they deserve what the difficulty they're going through so um in terms of people on new start like they they have to believe that there are the jobs out there and they're just job snobs and they're doll bludgers and they're lazy and they don't want to work and um and they they have to believe all of these hideous things about them and they lap that shit up when news got feeds it to them so they can justify not feeling compassion for them and feeling and then feeling resentful towards them and it feels like um maybe the same sort of motivation applies weirdly in the place in the way that they think of single parents and particularly single mothers because of all the prejudice against single mothers and that um they and that and that, that's that, that those attitudes then pervade through to the service providers and to the the decision makers who are setting the policy up i know it, it does feel like it does feel like there's two problems it feels like there's the lack of public sympathy for it and then there's also the fact that they keep shoving in in terms of um, unemployment you've got the job network people and in terms of parents next you've got another set of private companies doing that shit and they've sort of shoved this profit motive in there as well to try and you know where they where they profit most um from the people that they can sort of not really help but sort of just keep sort of kicking along and make sort of making busy work for themselves like in the case of parents next and and just trying to justify their role rather than trying to actually help if it was fair, which it's not, um, the absent parents would have to jump through hoops to justify why they were absent. So I have 100% care of my daughter, and that's not through any choice of my own. Um, and my ex-partner um, stopped working or stopped declaring his income because he owns a business. He's got a lot of assets, got a lot of money, and he can just hide it. Uh, he doesn't have to justify why he's apparently studying and not working, he, he can just do that. Uh, and, and yet I have to go to Parents Next and prove that I'm doing something else that's not parenting. Which is insane. Mm. It, shouldn't it be? It feels it feels like a, in some ways a better system than having um, even having to do. So because child support means that you have, parents have to deal with shitty exes. Um, rather than doing that, if there was a better social security system that basically parents, where the support that was given to parents was genuine complete and necessary and, and the amount that was needed rather than what it is which is massively inadequate so that parents didn't have to deal with abusive exes they didn't have to deal with it they, this, this... well the government should pay they should guarantee an amount of child support yeah it's definitely it definitely feels like the child care the the child support system is too difficult and it's too broken and and the easy target is is parents that are that are that are on Centrelink. So. It, it's just always this why what you know why fix why fix all of these structural inequalities why fix these things that are difficult when we can just target these easy things and that's you know nice and simple for us to create policies around and we just tick some boxes and and everyone feels much better and much happier about that I just I just don't understand it it just staggers me that we have a system where the social the sole parent pension is so low and so inadequate for the need of, of raising children. And that whatever happens with child support, like the, the sole parent pension should be sufficient in and of itself. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be dependent on, because, um, you know, some people have exes who are refusing to work or, or are studying or who are, who have a genuine, you know, genuine reason why they can't bring in money. Um, and they, those parents are living in abject poverty, whereas the ones who've got a, a situation where there's somebody who's got a high income can get a decent amount. And you've got this completely disparate treatment of people, which has got nothing to do with the need of the children. Whereas if we had a proper social security net that, actually provided adequate support for parents regardless of um well taking into account the amount of the amount of care that children need like i just feel that the problem is the biggest problem is that sole parent pension is a inadequate and b that the um 
people on it are punished because of the, all this prejudice about the idea of parents. People are like, oh, but why, why should I pay for your kids? Well, they're going to be paying your, um, they're going to be paying taxes to fund your, you know, your retirement. So, you know, every, every we, we, same reason we pay for education. Parents should be paid an, an hourly rate. You know, why aren't parents paid an hourly rate? How much would that be? That would be a lot of money. It's, if it's enshrined in some sort of legislation, then you can make it an amount that uh, a parent gets paid for their childcare. Because I figured it out when she was little and it was 24-7 care, I was getting paid $2.50 an hour by the government to raise my child on my own. I would happily, has you know, when, when earning, a, when, when I'm back in, not at work, back in full-time paid employment, I would be happy to pay more taxes in order to have a social safety net that actually does that sort of thing. It's, it's astonishing that we don't, like, it comes back. Like, it's not the, the uh, what is the thing at the moment? They, they, they've, um, so they had their budget and um, they had this sort of, what was it, this $150 or $75 payment uh, for to deal with energy costs increases or something. Um, but then they didn't, but they specifically made it not include people on New Start. And then there was, of course, an outrage about that. And so now they've, um, you know, within, it was less than 24 hours after the budget that they said, oh, no, now we are going to cover people at New Start. There's just so much to process with, with what Ella's talking about because, you know, there, there's so much there. Like there's so much around the role of, of parenting, the role of women, you know, why why a government would target robo debt towards people on Centrelink when it, and and ignore the the child care uh, child support system you know why why we why we sort of continue to to make those choices one thing that I just do want to say is a reflection on a reflection on ro- the robo debt stuff um, and one of the really strong positives that came from it is is I think we have seen a real shift in 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 Australians. Uh, valuing that Australia has this social support system. Um, and that's really the crux of it. You know, what sort of country do we want to be? Do we want to be a country that, 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 that provides support for people, that, that it's, it's there when you need it, that we have compassion, we make sure people don't starve, we make sure people aren't homeless? What, you know, what, what sort of society do we want to create? Um, and what is, what's happening at the moment is that People are caring about that. They're seeing the erosion of that system. They're seeing how difficult it is, but they're also touching that system at different points. So, you know, in a gig economy and in an unstable economy, people are losing jobs. We don't have those jobs that will last you 40 years. You get a house, get two kids, retire, and everything's fine. Um, People that are now going on to, that are now retiring. um, So my in-laws are going through this where they have to do everything through my they both need an email address so you know they've sort of shared it was one thing that they got email in the first place now they both need separate ones because each person needs a separate account they're trying to upload information into it they're having such difficulty and so they're realizing um, how dysfunctional the system is and how dysfunctional it is when you you know when you try to digitally disrupt it Um, and they are you know they're they're uh, they're not progressing people um, but they are there they are now concerned that this is where things are going well, so it's interesting because you've got the, this big conservative thing of like they don't a fundamental conservative trait is that the lacking of empathy to understand what people are suffering until you personally experience it so you know um you can be a like like the dick cheney classic homophobe until his daughter comes out as, as a lesbian and then he's something like oh big champion of gay rights like yeah. this classic thing of yeah, people will be conservative and then suddenly they have to deal with a shitty system that's been put in place for the poor and then they're like, oh, actually, no, this is not good. Yeah, um, this sucks. <laughs> Why do we do it like this? It's shit. So much of what is done for people on, on Centrelink, on, to, to um, tenants, to like so much of the shit that, that, uh, that the poor are put through is stuff that the people who do it would never tolerate in their own lives. Like the, the thing where tenants have to put no. up with a stranger coming no. through their house and sort of checking out whether they keep it cleanly enough every six months. No person who is like none of the people who support this would would de- would um, accept someone from the government coming through their house and just checking on it every six months. Yeah. None of the people who are de- who are um, who are saying oh the system's fine have dealt with it. Um, none of the people who think that it's okay to you know tell a mother that she could which activities she should attend and if not then you know she doesn't get food that week like none of these people would put up with it being done to themselves and they only do it by by deliberately ignoring that this is the reality and that's why i think what you guys have both been doing in terms of shouting what the reality is back 
is so important because it's only by when people actually look at it and go, oh, okay, I see what they're doing. Oh, that's not so good. That's not so hot. Whereas yeah. if they if they can tune it out, then they don't need to think about it and they don't care. And the people being punished are the ones that they've already been taught to hate. So, Yeah, it's critical. And, you know, I will, I will throw in a plug here that it is actually incredibly frustrating that it is unpaid women <laughs> that are doing this work of shining this light on this stuff, that are using tools, that are creating campaigns and that are advocating for, for people and for individuals. And, you know, we're, we're really still missing that within, uh, within, within Australia. Our, and, and, and in part, it's because so many of our, of our organisations don't use, don't use um, internet and campaign tools very well and they are slow, like just so slow to react to stuff. Um, well, so but, what, yeah. now that we've got the election campaign and we've got the election due for 18th of May, um, what do you guys both see as the hope in relation to both of those issues? I'll ask you um, specifically, Lindsay, about the EFA stuff, which is obviously a specific issue that, that um, you've been addressing, although I suspect Ella probably has some um, points to make in relation to that as well. But in relation to just um, from Ella, Parents Next, and in relation, Lindsay, in relation to RoboDebt, like if we do see a change in government or what type of change it is, whether it's one where Labor just comes in with, with their own majority or whether it's one where the Greens can sort of modify them a bit, like what, what Ella, where, where do you, from what you've been watching, in, what you've been seeing in terms of what, how the parties are dealing with Parents Next, what what hope have we and what's likely to, what, what can we what can we do about it? Um, well, there's not a lot of hope, you know, unfortunately. I think... Um, Labor made the sort of it wasn't very clear what Labor said. I don't know if um, if you saw if anyone saw what Labor wrote on the um, Senate inquiry um, for Parents Next, and they seem to think that the program has merit as a sort of early intervention um, thing tool, and um, and that they would then you know, use evidence-based whatever to determine whether or not uh, a person should continue with the program. Um, I think that Labor have sort of left something in there so that they're not seeming, um, you know, too left at the moment uh, for the election. I feel like they might, uh, if they are elected, then they might um, be much more moderate in regards to parents next obviously if the libs get in um it's not going to be very pretty uh the green no we're all doomed yeah we're, we're, we're all doomed the whole thing it's frightening like um, i can't deal this has been basically a long election campaign since till since scummo became pm and if they've been like putting us through this and then at the end of the next eight what six eight weeks we end up with scummo again just i just don't know what to do i feel like moving to new zealand it's just not yeah, New Zealand's nice. Yeah, it's it's cold, but it's it's nice. But but yeah, I think the Greens get a big are, house. The Greens are pretty good on parents next. So they they want it gone. Don't they? They they're not saying they want it gone. They just don't like they've got no problem with the idea of the, the support programs. It's just the linking it to if you don't jump through hoops, you get you the, the, linking it to the ability to cut off your social security. That's the the one fundamental problem with it. That's worse than anything else and should be immediately removed. And like. Um, and I, I think the whole program is fairly insulting. I don't think that, yeah, I mean, that would be great if they got rid of the targeted compliance framework. But I think that just the whole thing is insulting. Like if they'd said to me when my daughter was young, what would help you? I'd say like like free legal advice that isn't legal aid because legal aid are pathetic mostly. Well, that's a whole separate problem. Like fundamentally legal aid needs to be funded properly. The courts need to be funded properly <laughs> because they can't deal with anything because, they're, they're, you know, the number of judges is going down and the number of cases goes up. So, you know, there's huge problems in the family law system in terms of lack of resources. And Yeah, we need more lawyers. Yeah. We need more lawyers who work for free, you know, um, psychologists, counsellors. Well, because legal aid is so tight. They, they, nobody does it because they, they, the, the only people, lawyers who do legal aid are junior lawyers whose firms are using it to let them cut their teeth. Yeah, it's really disappointing that there's no access to free legal advice. Like if someone had said, if you go in and sign this participation plan and you'll get 15 minutes of free legal advice once a week, 
you know, do you want to do that? I'd be like, yes, great. I would have done that because um, that's something that I could use. And it would have progressed your life a lot quicker as well because you could have churned through that cycle and kept up with your rights and gotten, you know, probably gotten to employment quicker because all of this crap would be behind you. So it actually would have been a productivity improvement. Yeah, just small gains by with that small bit of expertise. If I could have got the legal aspect of, of this, of my life sorted shorter time than four years, it would have really helped and it would have been good to have access to crisis counsellors, you know, not just finding these lines Mm. that, you know, some abstract person who, you know, just reads off a screen, actually go in and be able to say, look, I'm I'm having a crisis and I'm not coping and, and, and being able to go and talk to someone like that would have helped. Community isolation and people being disconnected from people within community and not having these support services like you know the effect that it's a it's a different it's a different community space and and issue but it is it's incredibly important and it's incredibly challenging and it would be so great to see resources directed at that and I think when we don't do that and I'll just switch just switch things a little tiny bit because this is such a big topic but um, I've been doing a little bit in the um, NDIS disability space and you you know one of the things that seems to have taken people by surprise is the extent of people with a range of disabilities in community and that's because those people are hidden and are isolated from communities because we don't have these sorts of services where people can talk to someone and and you know get 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 assistance to kind of keep moving forward that 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 those bigger issues that are happening really take take people by surprise. Mm. Lindsay, can you call, in terms of the NDS, the bullshit on the uh, line that, so Scummo has been called out on uh, his fake, his projected surplus being based on um, cutting the NDIS funding. And his argument is, no, 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 we've, we've given every cent that's been asked for. Um, but of course, that's that's not that's not really an accurate reflection of what the, what the reality is, is it? Well, no. Like the re- the reality is that the money can't get out the door because because it can't get out of Canberra, it can't get to communities, it can't get to the people that need it. So you know, rolling out rolling out something as big as this has been it, it's it's been a disaster in a few ways. And I I'm sort of in the digital space, so I know you know the disaster with the IT component in the first instance and then you get a whole lot of sharks that circle all of this cash and then you've got these organizations that can't go through uh, change rapidly enough to respond to the conditions that the NDIS will bring but in their defense they don't know what that will bring because governments are so silent and are so slow to put out information so that there can be no forward project planning Um, and I live in a regional area so in these regions you know people don't know don't know year to year when contracts will be renewed so people are agencies around here are sitting on contracts that are ending ending at june um, they've been told that contract has ended all the all the people have gone and, and moved on to other jobs because you you can't you know, you need a job. Um, and then they're being told, oh, actually it'll be extended for another, you know, sometimes it's like another five months or it might be another year. And then and then these organizations are like, well, look, we don't have our staff anymore. So there's these, there's just at, at every step there are problems with um, pushing any sort of any sort of money down the system down down to the end. And then the problem is obviously that you have people that you know, I think you've had people that obvi- that need access to services, but genuinely had hope that finally they were going to get the support and the flexibility and the freedom of choice that NDIS was was promised. So, what is it? What is it specifically that's stopping? So, like when when someone says, "Look, I, we we've paid out everything that's been claimed for," like is it that the, the people who need the resources are not able? You know, the the shop front, you know, end at the at the service delivery, and they're like they're being stopped from even getting to make that request because the resources aren't there for those to be taken or is that is that what's gone wrong with it at the at the delivery end 
Yeah, people people aren't even getting their assessments done, um, so they're not they're not getting they're not getting their assessments done now. Whether that has to is because of the end where it's done by telephone or it's done by whoever does that, or whether it's at the provider end, the people that are on the ground that don't have enough uh, staff and capacity to do it. But there is a bit of back and forth bureaucracy. So you you do the assessment, then that has to come back for approval, and it, there's there's steps, and at each step, at barriers. There are barriers. And at each barrier, it slows it down and it just, it means that the rollout is impossible. Um, so in, in my region, they've been doing work for two years to try to make sure that there's a workforce that's ready for these opportunities. They've done that. They've, they've, they've done that work over the past two years. Those jobs aren't there because the agencies themselves haven't been able to roll out enough of these assessments. So that, that work is almost going to have to start again because those people, to make those people ready for jobs that don't exist, they've moved on and they're doing something else. So, you know, that, that has to start again. So in terms of where we go at, at the election, do you think, so um, Lindsay, are there any changes? So Labor's not getting rid of Robert are they? Or are they, or are they doing the same thing as with Parents Next? We're just sort of vaguely saying, oh, oh and, and sort of brutalising refugees. They're just like, we'll do the same thing, but better. Well, you know, that's the thing about RoboDebt is there's, a, you know, a $1.5 billion forward projected surplus. Um, so that's on paper. It's not real money and it, and it, and it doesn't. That's the that's the possible best case forward projection without even looking at the costs of that. Yeah. So yeah, so they don't want to remove that from their budget bottom line. If they say we'll rewind robo debt straight away, they've got to remove that one point five billion dollars. Um, now that but it's th- bullshit in the first place. They shouldn't be trying to spend money. Like it's I know. That, well, like that's got to be like one exactly, trillion dollars. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So so you know, so where are where are the ethics and the morality for for that party? Um where do, where does that lie? And uh with any luck and hopefully because it's progressing, Victoria Legal Aid have a case in the courts that is that is testing the legality of this of this debt recovery system. Um so you know, hopefully what that says is that uh uh-uh, it shouldn't have have been like this and then whichever government is in power will have to then respond to that um, and figure that out but you know I, I I don't know if you know for whatever for whatever political reason when they're doing workshops or bringing people in and marginal seats and however politics is run um, clearly at this point for them to say things like we'll rewind robo debt new start for 25 years and not having gone up is is wrong and penalizing new parents new mothers for not showing up to you know swimming classes and sing song classes is wrong they they don't want to they don't want to take a stand on on those things um so it leaves us you know not actually knowing where they stand it leaves those lines going Um, because it basically says it communicates the message of yeah actually this stuff is fine the the, the message that you know doll bludgers needed to be dealt with is a real thing like labor not turning up and being prepared to stand up and say no it's bullshit social security is yeah we can tweak it we yeah like just saying yeah you can sure it's falling apart but don't worry we'll tinker at the edges and we'll be able to make this because i haven't promised to increase Uh, you know why not just why not just call out something that's wrong so they haven't they haven't promised to labor hasn't promised to increase new start uh or they've just have they promised a review haven't they no, review within eighteen Ugh. months. Yeah, review within like, eighteen months. Whenever they report about the, the low level of new stuff, they always the media are always like, oh, because you know, everybody's in furious agreement that it needs to be raised, but it's not. Nobody's agreeing with like, okay, cool, we'll raise it tomorrow. Like, like, why? Why is why? Yeah. Even the people who want it raised the least. Okay, why can't they ram through parliament immediately? Cool, we'll raise it by that much at least immediately, and then look at the rest. Like, it doesn't make any sense for the people who are like, in fact, I'm not sure why nobody has, has put anything in front of Parliament and say, if I, so each of the parties that says it should be increased, cool, name an amount, we'll put that in Parliament tomorrow, and you can all bloody vote for it. Like, the idea that that supposedly we all agree that, that this is too low, and then it, you know, day-to-day continues being as far, low as it is, is insane. But I, I um, so Labor Review, Greens, uh, Greens are committing to an increase, aren't they? But it's not, it's not all the way up to um, sustainability, is it? It's... And inc- I, I noticed there was a bit of an argument between um, uh, on on Twitter about 
what the socialists were pro- progressing and what the what the Greens were actually proposing. And um, I think Jeremy Foxham from the Unemployed uh, Workers Union was saying that the Greens fund isn't isn't adequate. I, I don't know what you guys have seen about the the what the Greens are proposing proposing compared with. Um, other even more progressive parties, perhaps. Yeah, well, you know, I can't, I can't recall. I remember seeing that tweet. Actually, the question kind of comes down to how much do we want to feed people to live? <laughs> how much, how much do people, how much do people need to get by, and what's what's sufficient? And draw a line. <laughs> well, there's a there's a standard sort of thing like the, the ACOS. ACOS has like a, there's a this is the amount that you would need to be you know for basically to be sustainable. Um, yeah. And it's well, well, you know, New South is a long way below that. Yeah. Like there, there are measures that you can put in place that take into account how much, you know, costs for rent and all the rest of it. Yeah, and I mean, if you're not going to choose something, it, you know, what 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 do you want to choose here? What do you want to choose? Do you want to choose? You, you just you have to kind of pick something and say this is this is what's acceptable, and then start that actual debate and discussion but yeah I guess I guess clearly clearly it is clearly it is difficult political territory and people are people are people are cautious of it and cautious of of going too firm lest they get a a poor news article Um, but you know I still everything that I've seen through through not my debt and you know really so much of the raise new start and the reason why we're at this point now is has been through um, organisations like um, the South Australian Anti-Poverty Network who went around to individual councils within South Australia and got them to actually vote on supporting the increase in Newstart. Um, and councils are difficult to... They're, they're not... Gen, depending, they're not generally progressive. You tend to get, you know, at least where I am, you get older people that are on that are on those um, things, and and a, and a bit more conservative, and probably a bit more male. Um, so it's difficult to it's difficult to get them, and and a lot of people in their community that'll say, why is council even getting involved with this sort of stuff? Um, so they just did incredibly great work. Um, with Paz Fagoni leading that. Um, and it's such an amazing example of um, what happens when you empower small local groups um, to really get out there. Um, and, you know, they their funding is woeful um, and and they should, you know, I would, I would, I would put the campaign and just give them, you know, I know ACOS raised a whole bunch of money and I do know that Paz is now working with ACOS. So he is able to, I assume, continue a lot of that great work. Um, but you can shift community attitudes. You can, you can bring this stuff to the forefront. You can challenge people to start thinking about this. We don't, it's not just this media bubble that we have to rely on. Um, you can get that conversation out further and you also can make the conversation about individuals, not about organizations or politicians yelling at each other. Um, and that's definitely what happened with Not My Debt. And it's, it's absolutely what happened with Parents Next as well. Um, and people really value being able to see that conversation, not just the conversation, but also the mechanics behind it. So with Not My Debt, when we started to see people that spoke out being doxxed and having their details leaked, it for us, you know, I've got... Well, do, Ella, do you want to... Ella, because you, yeah. you had that with parents. So, what, so do you, Ella, do you want, what happened with you with the parents next when they, they well, the apartment effectively... They a doc didn't they sort of they kind of doxed you publicly and then they also like when you did your FOI that you found out how much they were doing it internally. What they were doing was um, I was either it wasn't confirmed whether or not my name was in their um, you know media profiling package with Icentia, um, or if I it was only because I was tagging parents next. But I went back through my tweets and the tweeting question about the swimming lessons, which started it all. Um, I hadn't tagged the Department of Jobs and I don't think I'd even tagged Parents Next or Centrelink. Um, so I'm unsure about, you know, how that tweet got to the minister's um, office. Um, but what they were doing was they, the thing that was the worst thing for me, not that I you know, was really upset by it, but um, the most surprising thing was that they had sort of forwarded articles associated with um, me 
um, and my allegations against Jeremy Buckingham. And they'd sort of forwarded an article uh, internally and said, hey, look, check this out. Uh, this is, you know, Ella Buckland. And so that was confronting. But then it came back the other way. So it came from um, my provider. And when I found out that I was indeed voluntary in Parents Next, um, and I had it confirmed by the Department of Jobs, and I rang my provider and I had to speak to the manager and she rang me and she just started abusing me and and was saying um, you know she knew all about my tweets uh, this was really early on and she I imagine really intimidating and terrifying given that these are the people who have the ability to like you know cut off your only support I wasn't worried about that I was really confronted by the way she spoke to me like she was so disempowering my daughter was having surgery. My mum was really sick. Um, I was at the crescendo of four years of family court. I'd gone public with allegations of sexual violence against a male politician. And it was like like it was these four things on, you know, that month. And she was like, you have to come in and change your participation plan. Like now. She moved my appointment up six weeks that I'd just negotiated the week previously. And um, I was like, can you please not do that? And she was like, well, as you said on Twitter, you know, swimming lessons aren't going to help you get a job. And I was like, there's all of these other things going Uh on in my life. You know, what you're doing is really harmful and it's bullying and it's not appropriate. And she was just like, she just talked over me. She didn't care. And I ended up in tears, which is really rare for me because, you know, I'm used to dealing with sort of bureaucracy and, and being really assertive and or a total bitch to people. And this woman was just so foul and I was so vulnerable at that point. Um, And then when I tried to make a complaint about her, um, she she denied that she'd raised her voice, even though I had witnesses because it was my birthday. (laughs) And um, they, her boss quoted my Twitter feed. in his response to my complaint about this woman. Before we leave it, probably we might have to do, Lindsay, we might have to have another chat about the EFA because um, the, the, that's, that's a whole, um, there's a big topic there about the about what the government's yeah. been doing in, the, in that space. Um, but look, let, maybe before we go, um, sort of might leave both, asking you both, where, what's the best thing you hope for from the next from this election campaign, from between now and eighteenth of May, obviously, I, I assume that we're all hoping that you know the the, the best thing will be, uh, best obvious thing will be the, the Morrison government being defeated. But um, in terms of best outcomes and best things you'd like to see in the campaign, or things that the parties might, you know, something you might like the parties to promise or actually you know, be in a position to deliver, like um, Ella, what, what was the sort of thing you would like to see best out coming out of this this next period? What would I want them to do between now and the election? Yeah. And for, what what would you like to see happen over the campaign? I don't think I'm going to see it. Um, obviously, I'd like Labor to come out and say, you know, we've changed our minds and parents think should be made voluntary. Um, but that's not going to happen and I understand why. Um, you know, Australia as a whole has become more conservative, I feel, and Labor's really just holding their cards until they find out whether or not they're elected you know otherwise do you think that they will become more compassionate on it after there's a real prospect that they might stay quiet on it and then in government just go all right we'll, we'll make it voluntary like they might actually become look that's the sense i got from the, the recommendation the third recommendation that labor made in the senate inquiry really is so unclear that it gave me hope um and i don't know if they've done that deliberately i know murray watt who was um on the committee was very sympathetic and I actually pre- presented the petition to him and Rachel Seawert. Um, and I don't know, I do have a sense that, that Labor might come good on parents next if, if they're elected. Um, and if the Libs get in, like it's a really good opportunity to spend the next couple of years really pissing lots of people off. Lindsay, is there anything you're hoping for to see over the next few weeks? Yes, I'm hoping for all of these young people that got 
that uh, enrolled and got engaged with the um, with the referendum on same sex marriage. Um, that all of them come out and vote, and that they all start to really use their voice, and really for everyone, you know, that we that we start to be more open about talking about politics, and you know, get start to spread some awareness and and create that conversation. Um, if the conversations around these things aren't going to come from from governments or from oppositions uh, or the or mainstream media, um, then create it ourselves. You know, keep it keep it up on Twitter, keep it up on Facebook. Um, invite other people, create space for other people that that otherwise don't don't talk up much to to you know just to to flesh some thoughts out and and to to get some to get some things out there um but particularly young people um because you know we're seeing this is this is going to be um a, a pivotal election on the state of the future and the future of the planet the future of the internet the future of rights the future of housing and new start and, and affordability and jobs um it, it's it is an important time um so i'd like to see young people rise up i can echo that one i agree with that <laughs> All right, well, we, we might leave it there. Um, okay, so Ella and Lindsay, where, Ella, where can people find you uh, online if they want to um, see more of the advocacy um, to try and fight back against the injustices in Paris Next in particular, but um, beyond that as well? Well, I have a page. It's called Parents Against Parents Next. Um, and I also have, I'm on Twitter, Ella N. Buckland. And Lindsay, how can people find you and your uh, fighting against uh, RoboDebt and also uh, the EFA stuff? But I think we might have to do a, do that on a, on a future episode and have that discussion. Sure. Uh, well, face, uh, we have a Not My Debt has a great Facebook page, so you'll definitely be able to find that. We still have our website, Collecting Stories. We're over 700 stories and $5 million. Um, so, so there's certainly that. And there's the Twitter account for, for Not My Debt. Um, and that's just not my debt. Um, and I'm I'm usually around on Twitter uh, from time to time too. And I'm okay underscore Lindsay. All right. Thank you both both of you for being in the podcast this week. Um, thank you to all of our listeners for coming back. Thank you to uh, Patreon subscribers. Thank you to everybody who has communicated with us on the at Well May We Say uh, Twitter. Thank you, Robin Gray for the music, Alex Lum for the artwork, and we'll see you all next week. Bye. Thanks so much. Bye. Thanks. Bye.